morning, friends. Good to see you. So glad you're here with us. Um, we've been in a series in the book of Ephesians, which is such a, a great book to talk about the church. What is the church? Uh, how do we operate as a church? What, what's the meaning of a church? What's the purpose, the mission of the church? It's just so good in all those areas in the conversation about the church. And uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've talked mostly about unity in the church, uh, which is so needed for us to understand and to walk in. We've talked about individual realities uh, of our own giftedness. God has gifted each of us uniquely for a purpose to serve one another. Your gift is not for you. It's for somebody else. And we come bringing those together and we serve the body together. And uh, we also have these individual, these corporate aspects of unity. Last week we talked about the fact that God has given us leaders in the church to help us to, to, to grow and, and to understand what our ministry is. Because everyone who knows Jesus has been given a ministry. Every person who's been given the, the grace of God to know him there's an expectation that, that you use this grace and goodness that's been given to you to minister to other people. So we have these leaders that help us, help us understand what that is so that we can get busy in the ministry. But the thing that uh, we need to understand this morning that we're going to look at in our text is that in order to be a people of unity, God has called us to be a people of purity. They kind of go hand in hand. Like, we can't be a unified church unless we're a purified people. Right now, we're broken people. We say that all the time. This is an imperfect church in every sense of the word. I'm an imperfect pastor. We, we, we make mistakes. We are saved by God's grace. Yet God calls us to something more. He calls us to holiness. He calls us to righteousness. He calls us to live in such a way that honors Jesus with our lives. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. You know, I was uh, driving my kids to school the other day, and we live very close to their school. Like, you could almost throw a rock and hit it kind of close. So I get out on the main road, and it's a school zone, which means you're supposed to drive kind of you know, a little slower. You get out there, and this guy comes rushing up right on my tail, and uh, which is my favorite thing to happen in the whole world. Uh, no, I'm being silly. Uh, but I, So I'm just driving, and I pull into the school, and, and I literally had this thought, I'm growing. I'm growing. I, I, I didn't say anything. I didn't make any ugly faces at Not many may, maybe ugly faces at him. I, uh, I, but I, I literally had this thought, wow, I, you know, it wouldn't have been that much, uh, you know, longer before maybe I would have done something differently. It's, it's been a little while, but I think God is growing me. I think he's teaching me something. I think I'm, I'm learning something as a believer in Jesus that I can let those things go even as much as they make me angry, right? But the thing is, is that we need to see this morning is as believers in Jesus, we can't be the same people we were. It, it, we can't be. We used to walk in sin and, and brokenness and, and all these different things of, of a fallen nature. And God is calling us to walk in Christ and to live in Christ. Christ followers must be different than the world. There's not an option. We have to be different uh, than the world. So our text this morning is going to break down sort of into two different sections. The first section is going to talk about who we used to be and who God is calling us to be. And then the second section is going to be sort of the corporate 
aspect of purity and unity, which is now that, that we're trying to be the people God wants us to be, we need to support each other in these relationships. And he gives us some specific directives in how to do that. So look with me in the Bible if you have yours with you. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 17, we're going to talk about character first. Character. Ephesians 4, 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Pray with me this morning. Father, Lord, we love you and I'm so grateful to be with my family today. Grateful to worship you. Grateful to be reminded, God, that I am not who I used to be, and yet I'm not who I'm going to be either. I'm in this process of becoming who you want me to be, Lord. We all are as we follow you and we seek you. And God, I pray that your word would be powerful and it would remind us that we don't walk in these old ways of who we were. We walk in this new way of Christ. We put on Christ and we live in this way to honor you and we do it as a community of people who support one another. We're gifted to help and serve one another. We lead one another. We speak truth to one another. And you grow us as a body as a result. Lord Jesus, we pray with all of our hearts that your spirit would lead us to truth today. That I would decrease in this time. That you would increase. God, that we would learn more of you and more of who we need to be in you. And that you'd give us the courage to live that way. Father, that is our prayer. We ask that you be with us and lead us in that direction. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul uses this phrase. He says, I urge you, right? He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I urge you to walk in this way. Remember that? Well, we get down to verse 17, and Paul's going to ramp up the rhetoric just a little bit. He's not urging anymore. He's insisting, all right? He's insisting. In fact, some of your Bibles say, in our text, now I, this I say and testify. Well, some of your Bibles actually change the word testify for insist. That's a pretty strong word. And this is why he's insisting. He says, I insist in the, in the Lord that you no longer walk as Gentiles do. See, at first he says, I urge you. Now he says, I insist in the Lord. What Paul's saying here is, I'm an apostle. In other words, I've been given authority to demand some things of you. And I insist that you don't walk as the Gentiles anymore. I urged you, right, to walk in the way of the things of the Lord. But I insist that you do not walk in the ways of the Gentiles. You feel that authority? In the Lord, he says. This is, this is uh, his commission from Jesus to be an apostle and to instruct and to give the body of Christ an expectation to live in a certain way. So this is what he's saying, I have this authority and I have this expectation. Notice he also uses this word walk. We, we've talked about this before, he's used it several times in Ephesians. 
Here he says, at the beginning he says, walk in these ways of Jesus. But here he's saying, do not walk. See, as a believer in Jesus, there's things that we have to stop doing. And there's things that we have to start doing. There's the both and aspect of this. So what a, what a life in Christ uh, is to look like, Paul's given us this beautifully clear comparison so far in chapter 4. This is what it looks like, and now we're getting into this is not what it looks like, right? Very clear. This is who we are called to be. So Paul calls out to these Ephesian believers uh, who live in a very perverse and wicked society and culture. We've talked about what Ephesus was like. And it's hard for us to imagine because we think, well, we live in a pretty godless society as well. No. <laughs> There's nothing compared to what they had to walk through. The, the largest uh, temple of idol worship in the world was in Ephesus. The temple of Artemis or Diana. They made all sorts of idols. They, they had all sorts of occultic, demonic activity. They had sex uh, shrines where people would go and worship by illicit acts of sex. They were, it was an awful, awful, dark, evil place. So as Paul says, this is what the Gentiles do, those people who are listening to this go, oh, we know. <laughs> right there, there's no question. They knew what Paul was talking about. So when Paul says, come out from them, be different, this is such a challenge in that culture. Paul says, this is who you were. This is the way you live. This is what Ephesus is, but it's not who you are. Right? This is what I say to you this morning. Our world, our, our culture expects a lot of things of you that are dishonoring to God and dishonoring to one another. That is not who you are. You are in Christ. And for those of us in Christ, we ought to live differently than those who are not. Our lives ought to be different. We have to be different and yet never forget where we came from. I love this text that Paul writes in the 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. And he says, this is who you used to be. Look here. Uh, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, uh, women too, obviously, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor, sw nor swindlers uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. And watch this verse. And such were some of you. <laughs> I love that. That's who you were, remember? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Can I just tell you? I can, let me just go back down this list again and see if any of you sense anything from your past, from your life. You were sexually immoral. You were idolaters. You were adulterers. You were men who practiced homosexuality or women. You, you were thieves or greedy or drunkards or revilers or swindlers. All of us have a past. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And these are the things we did. These were the people we were. But God, right? But God changed our hearts. He changed our lives. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. This is not you anymore. We don't live this way. Remember he says, and such were, were past tense, 
Such were some of you. That's not who you are in Jesus. Praise the Lord. This is not who we are. He says, you can no longer walk that way. They live in this society. They live in this culture where they're inundated, just as we are. Our kids on their phones, our kids in, in, in with the computers, even for school, all of us on our phones, all of us with our television and television shows and our, our past. And yet Paul says, walk in who Christ is making you, not in who you were, right? He mentions the Gentiles. This is the way of the Gentiles because the Gentiles had no moral authority. There was nothing that caused the Gentile to say, I better not do that. No, the Gentile way was do whatever you want. Right? They were hedonistic. If it feels good, do it. If it seems right, do it didn't matter. That was the Gentile way. And so that's why Paul calls out the Gentiles in that way. He begins to explain that in this lifestyle of sin, there is a downward spiral that happens in our lives. The first thing he says is that there's futility in their minds. Futility means um, pointlessness, uselessness. You ever had to have a conversation with somebody that's just they're not even going to have the conversation with you, and it's just, this is futile. <laughs> Why am I even trying to talk to you? You're not listening. You don't care, right? It, it's pointless. It's useless. In their mind, it, it didn't matter. It, they just, they didn't care. Life didn't matter in that regard. Paul's going to say, listen, who we are, how we live, all begins in our minds. Can you hear, hear this this morning? Who you are, who Christ is making you, how you live, all begins right here. Even if we're dishonoring God, even if we're living in a way that, that, that is displeasing to the Lord, it's, it's right here. Paul says they were futile in their minds. It all started right here. And then what happens? They begin to, to make this downward spiral. Look what uh, he says in 1 Corinthians 2.14. He says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. When he says natural, he's talking about people who are not saved. They don't know Christ as their Savior. The natural person, the person of this fallen natural world, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Right? They're futile in their thinking. People who are lost... It makes no sense. In fact, they would look at us as Christians and go, you guys are idiots. This is silliness. This is folly. But look what he says just two verses later, verse 16. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. That's who we are. We need to have the mind of Christ. So we see this, this downward spiral of sinfulness in, the, in our lives, in the lives of our family members. Too many of us have watched this downward spiral. It starts with futility, then it goes to being darkened in our understanding, right? There's just no presence of light anymore. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. And then it goes to being alienated from God. By the way, sin will always separate you from God. Sin will separate you from God. It always does. And as you continue to make life about you, you will be moving further and further away from the Lord. Then, then the text says that they're ignorant. And they, they become ignorant because they have hard hearts. We get hardness of heart because 
It's a re- repeated disobedience. Listen, when God speaks to your heart and says, don't look at that anymore, and you go, eh, I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to. What happens is you begin to build up calluses on your heart. You know, I, I like to play guitar. I love guitar. I've played it a lot more in the past than I do now. And the problem with that is I don't have the calluses on my fingertips that I used to. So when I play guitar now, it hurts. In fact, Daryl played, he did a great job last week playing a guitar, and he said his fingers were killing him the whole time because he doesn't play guitar that much, right? When you play over and over again, these calluses build up on your fingertips. It's literally just dead skin upon dead skin upon dead skin to where you don't feel the pain anymore. It's exactly what happens to our hearts when we continue to push God away. We continue to sin. We continue to say yes to things we shouldn't say yes to. Calluses are being built up on our heart and soul. And our hearts grow hard against the Lord. And then Paul says what happens as a result of callous hearts, hard hearts, we become ignorant. Who's an ignorant person? Somebody that doesn't know what they're doing, right? They don't know any better. You've literally lost all feeling. I remember I went to a, a doctor's office one time and this is when I was playing guitar a lot and they needed to draw some blood out of the fingertip and I didn't think and I handed them my guitar playing hand and she pricked my finger and I was like, cool, I didn't feel a thing. There was also no blood. She's squeezing my finger. No blood's coming out of my finger. And I was like, oh, I'm a guitar player. It's calluses. Do this one. And I felt that one. I was like, whoa, quite different, you know, and she got some blood out of my finger. We have to be sensitive to right and wrong, to what God is calling us to, the life we live, who we were, we're not anymore. Who God is calling us to be is who we need to live out, who we need to put on so that we don't grow hard of heart. The next thing he says is that they were given up to sensuality. In other words, hey, listen, if it feels good, do it. doesn't matter. If it's what I want, if it seems right to me, I'll do it. And then the next thing gets even worse. These things just get progressively worse. And it says they were greedy, practicing every kind of impurity. One sin will lead to another when they're not in check. One sin just leads to another. It says they became greedy. What that means is you don't care about anybody else but yourself. I think about human traffickers. And I, and I can't, in my mind, understand how this is possible. How they can take children, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and traffic them for illicit sex over and over and over. And if kids die, oh well. How? How can you do that to a human life, to a child? Because they've just become greedy. It's not about anybody else about me. Any of you who've struggled with addiction, any of you who have a family member who struggles in addiction, you know what I'm talking about. You're the ones who've been hurt by this addiction. They don't care about you. They don't care about your money anymore. They just take what they need for them. They don't care about anybody around them. They become greedy, practicing every kind of impurity. Can I tell you something? Sin never satisfies our souls. Never. In fact, it does the opposite. Sin makes us want more sin. People who know me well know I love hot sauce. I love like salsa. And the thing about really hot salsa is as I eat it, 
I love it. And these endorphins kick off in my brain. And for whatever reason, even though my mouth is burning and no telling what it's going to do to my stomach, right, I'm just eating it over and over, my brain says, keep going. It just keeps sending these impulses, and it's this cycle. That's the same thing that happens in sin. We sin, and our body and our brains just go, just get more. Just go more. Go further. But here's the thing. I love this old preacher statement. It's It sounds like an old preacher, and I don't care because it's so true. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and it'll make you pay so much more than you ever wanted to pay. That's what sin does. It never satisfies. Only Jesus will satisfy our souls and fulfill us. I I think this is interesting because this downward spiral that Paul mentions here, is repeated in Romans. Look in Romans 121. It says, For although they knew God, they, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. It starts with thanksgiving, right? Isn't that interesting? Kids, isn't it interesting? It starts with just being thankful. Watch this. When sometimes if you're not even thankful, watch what can happen in your life. They didn't give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. That sounds familiar. And they, their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you see this pattern? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity. It's the same downward spiral cycle to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. I'll serve myself. I'm the created. I'm the creature. God's created me, and I'm all that matters. What I want instead of what the creator wants. Futile thinking, darkened hearts, choosing our own way of life, being given over to lust, trading the truth of God for a lie. Hardness of heart leads to darkness. Darkness leads to deadness. And deadness leads to recklessness every time. Don't be fooled, friends. Don't be fooled. But I love then Paul says this in verse 20. (laughs) But that is not the way you learned Christ. Here's the separation here. He's been talking about the way the Gentiles live and the way we used to live because we were all without Christ. Some of you say, well, I wasn't that bad. Well, Jesus changed that, right, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, oh, really, you're not that bad. Have you ever thought lustfully in your mind about a woman? Oh, well, yeah. Okay, well, then you've committed adultery. Right? He, he, he levels the playing field. We're all sinful. We're all broken. We're all undeserving of God's grace. And he, he makes this separation. This is how the unbelievers live. But then Paul says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. I want you to remember this has been like 10 years since Paul was in Ephesus. It's been a while. And so, now, Paul spent more time in Ephesus than anywhere else, three years. 
he personally discipled these people. So he knows that there's a great foundation of discipleship there. But it's been 10 years, and the hope is you guys have grown. The church is growing. There's all kinds of churches around Ephesus. And so Paul uses this phrase to say something like, assuming that you've heard about him. Whoever's listening to this, my assumption is that you've been taught Christ. And he uses this really interesting phrase, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Isn't that an interesting phrase? In fact, it's such an interesting phrase, it's not used, this style of phrase is not used anywhere else in Scripture. And what Paul is saying is this, Christ is not just something to learn about, it's a relationship to have with a person. You've learned Christ. Do you have a relationship with him? It's not just about information transfer. It's about relationship being lived with Jesus. This is not how you learned Christ. And then he gets really interesting in in the way he describes this. He says, assuming that you've heard about him, we're taught in him because the truth is in Jesus. In other words, Jesus is, is not only the subject here. He's the teacher. He's the lesson. He's the atmosphere in what is being taught. He's everything. And then he says, lastly, the truth is in Jesus. Remember we talked last week about the fact that the body of Christ, they're the, they're the protector and proclaimer of what? The truth. That's who we need to be, a people of truth. And Paul says, the truth is in Jesus. Assuming that you've been discipled to Jesus, that you know what I'm talking about here, right? So then Paul says, as this admonition, as this uh, insisting, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Every one of us has come from a sinful place in our lives, every single one of us. And it's easy as believers to sometimes want to go visit, go back and visit. In our minds, in other ways, we we feel drawn. Those are deceitful desires. They're deceiving you to think that there's life there when there's only death. Don't be deceived. Put off the things of this old life. You know, and I was thinking about this statement and, and this, this, this text, I couldn't help but think about Jesus when he called Lazarus out of death in John 11. Remember he says, Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus shows up and he's, he's wearing grave clothes, literally swaddling clothes. Same thing Jesus would have been in in the manger. It just means strips of cloth. And they're wrapped around him like a mummy. And, he, and Jesus says, after he says, Lazarus comes forth, come forth, the next thing Jesus says is this. Take those grave clothes off of him so that he can be free. Friends, too many of us have been raised to newness of life in Jesus, and we're still trying to walk around in grave clothes. They still smell like death. They still reek of a life that we've left. We're still walking around in the same habits and and the same ideas and same thoughts. Friends, we got to put on new clothes. The clothes of Jesus. we got to put on this new identity. Several years ago, I had the privilege uh, when I was with this group, New Song. We, we had a, a ministry that we supported called Holt International. And Holt is an adoption agency. In fact, Holt is the agency that, that allowed people from the U.S. to be able to adopt children from other countries. 
they went through the court process and everything. And, and we supported them. They asked us to come over to China. So we flew into Beijing, and we went to all these different places around Beijing, seeing orphanages and seeing kids in need. And it was just, it was a very difficult thing to see, and yet a beautiful thing to see the work that Holt was doing. I had the privilege of standing in this ballroom after the week was almost over. And not only had I had the chance to, to hold the child that I sponsored, we sponsor three kids right now through three different organizations, but I got to hold that child we sponsor. It was beautiful. But I, at the end of the week, I'm standing in this ballroom, and there's a curtain down the middle of the ballroom, and I'm standing right on the curtain. The people that are over here are expectant moms and dads waiting to receive their children. The people over here are the, the guardians, the caretakers of the children from China. These babies and young, young children ready to be given to their new moms and dads. And I have the privilege of standing on the curtain. And I'm seeing these parents just so eager to meet their kids. And I see these caretakers in tears. And knowing that they have to give up these children for a better life. And they've placed the children, the, the, the clothes that they live in in these orphanages are very, very bad. I saw it with my own eyes. But when they are adopted, they put new clothes on these children. As if to say, this is new life for you. A friend of mine who adopted some children from China said the first thing they did when they received their kids, they went and bought brand new clothes. They put them in this new set of clothes as if to say, this is your new identity. This is who you are. This is how you're going to live from now on. You're a new person. Friends, here's the reality. You and I have been adopted by Christ, and he has given us a new set of clothes to live and walk in, and some of us just continue to go back to the smelly old life clothes instead of putting on Christ. May it never be. May we put on the clothes of Jesus, which means there's a process, right, of leaving old clothes, old identities, old realities, old habits behind. And taking on new identities, new habits. And it starts in our minds. Romans 12, 2 says this. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by the testing, uh, you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have to be renewed. We, we have to have a new life. And it doesn't just start with clothes. It starts here. It starts in our minds that we are new people. These new clothes aren't real clothes. <laughs> They're clothes of Jesus' identity that we put on by renewing our minds, changing what we thought of the past and the tapes and the narratives that, that the enemy uses against us to say, that's who you are. No, no, no. Instead, we put on new clothes, new sets uh, of thinking, new identities of Jesus. 1 Peter 1.13 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or Philippians 4.8 where Paul encourages believers to say, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. How often do we allow mess in our minds? 
How often do we allow stuff that shouldn't be in our hearts, in our hearts? And we've got to realize it's garbage in, garbage out. Whatever we allow in is going to come out in our lives. We have to renew our minds so that our lives can follow. That's how you put on a new self. That's how you train your mind to know the truth of God's word about who you are. Right? The text says that we're created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Listen here. Is that something you've done? Did you guys earn that? Did you earn the righteousness and holiness? Is that something? Did you take a class for that? Is that a certificate that came at a certain point once you did enough? (laughs) Our righteousness, our holiness has been given to us by Jesus alone. We didn't earn that. What a beautiful and wonderful gift that it's been given to us. We don't earn it. But we have to make the choice to walk in it. We have to make the, uh, the, the choice to believe this is who we have to be. This is who I am. I'm not this guy anymore. I want to walk in who Christ has made me to be. And the most beautiful thing, the second half of this text I want us to look at for a few minutes is the reality that we don't walk it alone. He encourages us as a community. Yes, let's live lives in the newness of who Christ is in our lives, but we don't have to try and make it on our own. Look at Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. We heard that last week too, didn't we? Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This whole section, the first section is about who we were and who Christ is calling us to be. And this section is about who we are together. As the church, how we help one another. Very specific issues. And the very first thing Paul says that a community needs to do is stop lying. Isn't that interesting? Last week, he said that the the, the difference in a level of maturity in Jesus is where we're willing to speak the truth to one another. Isn't that amazing? We can choose to continue to do church in half spirituality. Half maturity in Jesus and not speak the truth. Or we can be obedient to God's word and we can speak the truth in love and stop lying. You know what that means? I'm going to own the sin of my life. And I'm going to be honest with you about it. This is where I'm making mistakes. And I don't want to. I want you to help me. I want to be open to the blind spots of my life where I'm making mistakes. And you do the same, right? We share this life together where we're walking in honesty, put off falsehood. That's just a nice way of going, stop lying. Be real. Be transparent. Be authentic. 
speak the truth to one another. Then he says, we're members of one another. It's kind of like um, he's saying you're a family, and the family is uni unified. There's one church we, we read, right? So if you lie to your family, it's just like lying to yourself. Because we're one. Why would we lie? Lying won't get us anywhere. It only hides. It's only that fallen condition of running away from God and each other to say, I, I don't know what to do. It's shame. Don't hide. Don't lie. Be honest with your life so that we can be healed and change and be the body of Christ he wants us to be. And then Paul dresses, addresses these very specific <laughs> relational realities. Every family has these issues. Every relationship has these issues. I don't care how good friends you've been for how long, you're going to run into times where that person hacks you off, right? Family, family members too. Well, you made me angry. The good thing about family is they're going to continue to be family even if you don't, you know, make it right. They're still your family. So make it right. He, he speaks about these specific issues. He says, be angry and do not sin. In other words, it's possible for you to be angry and not sin. Jesus did it. He was angry and yet he didn't sin. God at times is angry and doesn't sin. He can't stand sin. Therefore, Christian, it's possible for you to be angry and not sin. And then he gives us these specific sort of boundaries, how to help us to not sin. This is what he says. The first one, don't let the sun go down in your anger. What does that mean? That sounds poetic and nice, but what it means is, Today, if you have an issue with somebody, today, deal with it. If you have a problem, today. The whole idea comes from Exodus where if somebody owed you money, if they owed you money, you could take their cloak from them for the day. But if they were poor, at, the, at sundown, you'd have to go give them their cloak so that they could sleep with it. This is where the concept comes from. At the end of the day, we have to make sure that our relationships are right. Husbands and wives, don't go to sleep if you're angry. And, and I know it's hard. You know, some of us are falling asleep. No, I know we need to talk, but I'm falling asleep. You know, get up. Work it out. Pray through it together. Don't let the sun go down on your anger in any relationship. In fact, Jesus uh, takes it a step further in Matthew 5.23 when he says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. This is not even if you have something with somebody else. This is if your brother has something against you. <laughs> Jesus takes it up a notch. He says, leave your gift there before, uh, before the altar and go. Be first reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus says right relationship is even more important than worship at times. That we, we need to make sure that our hearts are where they need to be before we try and offer something to God. And how often do we just go, I'm just going to leave it. I don't know. Maybe they didn't mean that. It's not that big of a deal. I'm going to let it go. No. Go have a conversation and speak the truth in love. Reconciliation should be acted upon. When the Spirit reveals it to you, this text says, when you remember, when God reveals this thing to your heart that maybe somebody has an issue with you for whatever reason, or you have an issue with them, hey, are we okay? I just want to make sure. 
Because I do some dumb stuff sometimes, and I could have made a big mistake and, and hurt you in some way. Will you forgive me? That's what brothers and sisters do. And then he says, give no opportunity to the devil. And the reason he says that is because there's such a fine line in being angry and sinning or being angry and not sinning. It's such a fine line. It's so easy to be angry and sin. So he says, be careful. When you're angry, don't give the enemy an opportunity to pull you over to sinfulness. So then he, he goes into this next relational reality. First one was anger and those relationships. The next is being such a tight-knit community that you actually know if there's a thief among you. Isn't that interesting? Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his hands so he has something to share with anyone in need. I think what's interesting about this is he doesn't say let the thief work with his own hands so he has something to eat. He says that somewhere else. I'll explain that in a minute. But there's almost this sense that God provides for our needs, and yes, we work for our, for our needs and, and to be able to eat and stuff. But his concern is that if you're not working, you're not serving someone else. The focus here is if you don't have something to bring, to share, you're not being a blessing. And that's, the, that's part of being a, a part of the body of Christ. When we can be together, we ought to be able to contribute to one another and serve one another. And if you're not contributing, you're, you're not being all that Christ has called you to be in the church. I love that this tight-knit community is, is, is so close that we can actually know who these people are. We can kind of know, hey, I, I need to help him. I need to encourage her. I need to come alongside them and help them become contributing members of this family. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, when we were with you, we would give you this command. This is, in other words, you heard us say this all the time. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. I love this because he says we command, this is something you have to do. And we encourage. We're going to help you, right? But this is a body of Christ who wants to help each other, even in the difficulty of I'm not making it, and there may be some baggage in my heart. Maybe I'm walking in some of those grave clothes, and you need to remind me to put on the identity of Jesus so that I can begin to walk in fruitfulness and contribution to the greater good of our body. Then the next issue, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Of course, he's talking about filthy conversation. Of course, he's talking about inappropriate language. But more, more specifically in this context, he's talking about how we speak of one another. Do you run your brothers and sisters down sometimes? Do sometimes you say, well, I don't know, he's, I, you know, this guy. Well, you know what she's like. Friends, that is not encouraging to the body of Christ. It dishonors God. Let no uh, corrupting talk about any of our brothers and sisters. This is our family. Let it be encouraging talk that only builds up, that helps them in whatever situation they're in. Gives grace to one another. That's what we have to give. Not condemnation, but grace. And he even takes it up a notch there and says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit whom you were sealed for 
the day of redemption. What he's saying is, when we speak against brothers and sisters, that grieves God. It hurts his heart, and it, and it also gives us this proof of the Holy Spirit as a person of the Trinity. Because persons feel, right? If I were to come paint you right now, you'd feel something, right? If I were to hurt your feelings, you'd feel that. Well, the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity and feels uh, a grievance. He is hurt by how we live sometimes, by how we speak to, uh, one, to one another or about one another. He says he sealed us for the day of redemption, which in the, is the same way of saying the whole process of salvation. He seals us the day we get saved until the day of redemption, which is the day we go to heaven. That's the process of salvation. So in the moment that we come to Christ or the moment we meet him, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't live this way. Don't be these people. And then he gives this little list, and I'm almost finished. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Bitterness is a sour attitude, sour speech. Wrath and anger are similar to one another. Wrath means like a passionate rage, where anger is more of a settled and sullen kind of hostility. Clamor, or, or, or somebody who is okay with getting uh, not only angry but excited, they raise their voices and they grit their teeth and they quarrel. And they start shouting and screaming at one another. That's clamor. It dishonors God. Slander is when you start speaking evil of other people. You say things you shouldn't say behind their backs. You defame them. You, you try to destroy their, their reputation. It's evil. And malice even goes further. Malice is ill will wishing somebody. Or even plotting or planning evil against somebody. You know, these things are like an ugly sweater, friends. Don't wear it. Don't put it on. Don't let this be who we are. Paul says, be better than this. And he gives us the antidote to these attitudes. He gives us the actual opposite to these things. Verse 32, our last verse, he says, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What does it mean to be kind? I believe we are a kind church. I do. But I think being kind is, is being honest. It's being nice. It's being loving. It's being welcoming. Right? That's who God is calling us to be rather than these other evil aspects. To be tenderhearted is to be willing to sympathize. Willing to empathize. Willing to, to see someone else's position instead of all that you've ever known. Listening to someone, hear where they are. What, what's hurting their heart? Can I help? The Bible calls us, even as the body of Christ, to weep with one another. To celebrate with one another. That's the kind of body that he's calling us to be, friends. And then lastly, he says, forgive one another. We need to know, we need to know this. We need to learn this so badly. Forgive Forgive, forgive, and he reminds us, because God has forgiven you. I've told you the story before, I'm not going to the whole thing, but there was a season in my life that I was really struggling with somebody who really wounded me and hurt me deeply. And I went for a year and a half or so just angry and bitter and all those things. I was thinking all those things. <laughs> I was being all those things, and Finally, my counselor said, you know what? 
you're a good person, but you make mistakes. He said, they're the same as you. They're good people, but they make mistakes. And you're saying it's okay for God to forgive you, but it's not okay for God to forgive them. And you're not seeing it. This is exactly what Paul's trying to say. Forgive people because God has forgiven you. Right? He's, uh, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. We have to forgive others if we expect God to forgive us. Friends, it wasn't until I saw those men, those friends, as fallen individuals, just as this fallen individual, and I said, I'm going to give them grace for the mistakes they've made just as God has given me grace for the mistakes I've made. It wasn't until I got to that point that, that I felt freedom. And then I could love them again. And I could be free. I didn't have to worry about it. My mind wasn't consumed constantly. We must forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. Can I just tell you, I encourage you as we close. We've all got a past. We've all come from sinful places. We've all done things that we're not proud of. But the enemy is calling us back to that life. The enemy is he's going to want to call you back to that addiction. Call you back to that spending habit. Call you back to those thoughts and those places and those websites. And that is the enemy. Don't walk in those grave clothes. Walk in a new set of clothes. The clothes of Christ. Put on Christ. The way that we do that is by renewing our minds. What are you doing to renew your mind? Some of you say, well, I just can't get over this thought in my mind. Okay, well, what are you doing? Because remember I said you have to take off some things and put on some things. So maybe you've stopped sinning in that area. Well, what have you put on? Put on scripture about that area. Put on scripture that pertains and speaks to that sin issue in your life. So that you have this memory, so that you memorize scripture, so that you have this content in your soul that you can war against the devil. Be ready. How are you renewing your mind? Because it can only happen through the word of God. Prepare your mind for action, he said in 1 Peter. Be sober-minded and have the mind of Christ. This is where it starts. And then lastly, the good news is that we don't have to live this life, these struggles, as, as Kim preciously put this morning, vulnerably shared with us. You're not alone, my sister. You're not alone, friends. You're not alone. I'm here for you. People sitting around you, they're here for you. We love you. Your city group, they love you. Your triad, they love you. You're not alone. God never expected you to try and walk a life of Christ alone. We have this body. We have this family of other broken people, of other forgiven people. And oh, how we need each other. Oh, how we need each other. And we need each other so desperately that my prayer is we won't eject when we get offended, but that we'll go to a, a, a secondary level of maturity in Jesus by speaking the truth in love, by being kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another because Christ has forgiven Let's pray real quick. Father God, 
Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the beauty uh, and the clarity of this contrasting text today to show us who we're not to be. And yet the encouragement, Lord, to show us who we are to be. The things we we're supposed to take off and yet the things we're supposed to put on. And it begins in our mind, renewing our mind. Lord Jesus, may, uh, may your people here hear that we need to be proactive if we're going to change the things in our lives. If we're going to go from being addicts to, to people who serve one another and help people get out of that addiction. God, we've got to renew our mind and renew our hearts through your word. May we be intentional about doing that, Lord God. Lord, may we take these warnings, these negative realities of relationships, may we hear them, Lord. Truly hear them in our hearts. Have ears to hear and understanding to realize we can be guilty of all these things. God, forgive us. Lord, I would even say this morning in this place, if anyone's even watching, God, if there's something in their hearts they need to make right with someone else, may they make a phone call today. May they go to that person today before the sun goes down. Lord, there may be people in here this morning that need to come to this altar and ask you to forgive them of the things that we've talked about today. Or maybe they need to accept you as their Savior and throw off these grave clothes and put on a life of Jesus so that their minds can be renewed and their lives can be rescued in his grace. God, would you move them by your Spirit to do such a thing. And Jesus, would you make us a family slow to speak evil of each other and quick to listen. Slow to eject from our covenant, from our friendships, from our relationship, from our church family. And quick to offer forgiveness and tenderheartedness and compassion and empathy and accountability and honesty. God, call this group of people, you call South City Church, to a deeper understanding of who we are to be in you. May we not settle for surface church anymore in Jesus' name. Move us to a life in you and a love for one another that can only be described from your prayer in John 17 that we would love and that the world around us would see our love for one another and come to you. That is our prayer. Jesus, do a work in us today. So we spend a little time worshiping seeking you, praying, settling these things in our hearts. Would you give us courage to be obedient to them? We pray it in Jesus' name.